Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. first edition of the show before the show podcast in quite some time in which I don't think either of us is at home or in our uh, home state even. Is that Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, that is correct. Yeah. Man. I mean, home well, is where you are. Right. Tyler. Exactly. Home is home is uh, where they understand you. Home is not where you live, but where they understand you. Um, but neither of us is uh, is in the place where we pay money to live. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, as we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. Where are you currently? Massachusetts? Palma? I am in, Palma, I am in Massachusetts. I am in Palmer, Mass. Yes. Wicked friggin' sunset. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's what we're known for. That's it. Uh, they talk about those wicked sunsets in Palma, Mass. Yeah, yeah. Now, unfortunately, we're coming too late, so I can't even describe a sunset. And it was also a, a great cloudy day here in Palmer, Mass. But yes, I am in Palmer, Mass. I uh, I got an assignment to cover a Hartford Yard Goats, and we'll get into that here in three strikes. But uh, yeah, figured it, Hartford's only an hour uh, away from my childhood home. I might as well spend some time up here as well. So that's where I am. Where are you, Tyler? I am in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida. I am a a stone's throw. Not actually. I guess if you could throw a stone, like a seven-minute drive. Uh, stone's throw away from Clover Park, the spring training home of the New York Mets. And if you're thinking, well, you're kind of late for spring training, uh, that is that is true. I'm not here for spring training. Uh, but I did see some future GCL Mets today out on the backfields uh, as they were getting set to – do some work. I'm assuming they will be GCL Mets coming up here sometime soon. Um, but uh, yeah, getting a chance to cover some other baseball stuff, which brings us to three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Yeah, we might as well start three strikes, Tyler, with the reason why you are in Florida right now. It is not to just look at the backfields and and scour them for complex leagues and, and whatnot. Uh, you are down there for the Olympic qualifiers, which sound awesome on their face. But beyond that, like there are a lot of big prospect names. We touched on them a little bit last week, but after a week, what stood out to you? And let's just start with Julio Rodriguez. I was going to say, what stood out to me? Julio Rodriguez, <laughs> the uh, number five prospect in all of baseball, who is manning the middle of the lineup for the Dominican Republic. He has been 
as much of a revelation as you would expect Julio to be so far. He is six for 14 in the tournament, two home runs. I got to call them both yesterday, broadcasting these games uh, on ESPN plus he is now at a slash line of 429, 429, 857. Uh, and Julio with three runs batted in uh, those two homers, his only extra base hits of his six hits so far, but yeah, six for 14. He has been absolutely fantastic. And uh, a guy who is batting, in the middle of a very talented, very veteran lineup. He's been batting between guys like Melky Cabrera and Jose Bautista and Juan Francisco. If you remember Juan Francisco from his major league days, um, Julio has been just as good as advertised. And, you know, this is my first time seeing Julio play in person, I believe. I may have caught him in a spring training game a couple of years ago, but um, this is the first time really getting a chance to see Julio play extended time. And he's just one of those guys who looks and feels different as a ball player. He's a very imposing presence in the box. He moves really well in the outfield, uh, which I know is something that people have commented on with him and how he's gotten even better with that. A guy who already moves pretty well for his size, but very graceful, takes good routes, covers a lot of ground in the outfield. Um, but at the plate is obviously where he shines the most. And he had two homers yesterday. We're recording this on what day is today? Thursday. <laughs> this it is Thursday, Thursday. Yes. We're recording this on Thursday night, Thursday night, June 3rd. Uh, he hit two homers yesterday uh, in his team's win over Nicaragua, which pushed the Dominican Republic into the super round of this tournament. And the second one, I mean, it was like a, where is this going to land kind of home run. Um, the first one was a good shot too, but the second one, he just, obliterated and uh, demolished a, a couple of baseballs to really push his team. I mean, they ended up winning via the the run difference rule, a, a 13 to three win and in eight innings, but it just felt like Julio's homers were the energizing factor. There were other guys who homered yesterday. Luis Liberato, who was also a Seattle Mariners prospect was one of those. Um, they had five total homers yesterday. Juan Francisco, the, the former Cincinnati red, uh, he had home run over the batter's eye to dead center field here uh, in Port St. Lucie, Florida, but Julio is certainly guy um, who has stood out the most. The United States has a, a pretty prospect-laden squad as well. Not quite as prospect-centric as their Premier 12 team from a couple of years ago, um, but still some very good young prospect talent. Tristan Cassis, the, the young Boston Red Sox first baseman, is four for his first eight in the tournament. Um, he had another hit today uh, in a game that ended up being uh, washed out due to rain. It didn't count as an official game. So he's technically four for eight. He's really sort of five for nine, uh, but he's got a double Nick Allen, unfortunately, had a grand slam wiped off of the stat sheet today. He belted a grand slam that put his team up 6-1 uh, in the fourth inning in a game that only made it through four innings. But um, prior to that, he was one for nine. I would imagine probably feels pretty great uh, to have his day today, even though it won't count statistically because the, the grand slam followed a, a double that he hit in the second inning uh, or in the third inning, rather, uh, an RBI double. Um, those two guys have been really fun to watch so far. United States pitching is uh, some pretty well prospect stacked as well. Matthew Libertor, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals prospect, made the start on the first night of this tournament. I would imagine we probably won't see him again, but he went an inning uh, or went five innings rather and allowed a run on five hits, struck out four, walked one uh, today. The U.S. sent out Simeon Woods Richardson, uh, the fourth-ranked Blue Jays prospect, who was also very, very good. And again, this game did not count today, unfortunately. But um, there's been some really impressive performance uh, on the pitching side as well for the United States. And so they are on to what is called the Super Round, the second round of this tournament. This tournament is a, an interesting and kind of different styled one because there is one Olympic berth at stake, but it is not a 
a conventional tournament. There will not be a championship game coming at the end of it. Four teams moved on from the eight-team opening round, uh, and those four, the best record among them at the end of play on Saturday is the team that moves on to the Olympics. So they carry over their record from the opening round and the head-to-head matchups against the other teams that qualified from their group. So the U.S. is 1-0 because they beat the Dominican Republic. Those are the two teams out of Group A. Venezuela is 1-0 because they beat Canada, the two teams out of Group B. Um, Tomorrow, the U.S. will play Canada in the night game. That'll be Friday, probably when you're hearing this podcast. Venezuela and the Dominican Republic will play in the day game at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches, uh, the spring training home of the Nationals and the Astros. And then on Saturday, back here in Port St. Lucie, uh, they'll flip-flop those matchups. So the U.S. will go up uh, against Venezuela and Dominican Republic and Canada will square off. That one will be the afternoon game. The the U.S. will be the night game. But uh, one more Olympic ticket to be determined after this week. So one ticket will be handed out uh, coming up on Saturday. And then a final global qualifier is right now tentatively scheduled for June 22nd to the 26th in Mexico, uh, featuring five teams, the second and third place finishers from this qualifier along with the Netherlands, Chinese Taipei, and Australia. It was supposed to be a six-team tournament. Uh, China backed out of that tournament. So um, that is where things stand right now. But, yeah, man, it's all Julio. It's just the Julio show. I haven't seen him at the hotel. Ordinarily, we stay – uh, you know, in, in separate hotels, the the teams and staff and all of that um, for the tournament. But this one, we're doing the whole bubble situation. We've had the COVID test. We're not allowed outside the hotels and everything. Um, I have yet to see Julio in the hotel. But if I see him, I'll be sure to say Sam Dykstra says hello. I mean, I hope so. He, he We had a great interview with him. A great year. interview with Julio. I even yeah. talked about it on the broadcast the other day. How much fun yeah. we talking with Julio. And how much you can tell. I said this on the on the telecast. My favorite thing about Julio is how much you can tell how he loves baseball. It's not right. just a guy who goes out and he knows he's talented at something and, and well, it's work. It's a job. Julio loves baseball. And that's what I love about Julio and uh, very excited to see him tomorrow. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. Venezuela uh, has brought together a really good team uh, for this qualifier as well. So seeing the, the DR against Venezuela tomorrow will be really fun. And then uh, DR Canada on, on Saturday will be pretty fun as well. So it's been a, very good first few days down here in Florida. Very strange to have gotten on a plane for the first time since the pandemic started and to be, uh, you know, doing something for work in a place that is not my home. It's very strange, but uh, very excited, very thrilled to be here. And hopefully we'll have more international baseball coming up here in the next few weeks for that final qualifier and then the Olympic Games. Actually, 50 days from today, Olympic baseball gets started, slated to get started in Tokyo. So, um and I want to ask, this might be a very stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I, one thing about this is that it's all players who are not on a 40-man roster. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking at these rosters and thinking like, okay, if, they, if the U.S. wins or the DR wins, um, those guys are automatically going to the Olympics, which is true for the country, but it's not necessarily true of the current roster. Correct? Right. There can be roster changes between now and the Olympic Games uh, coming up at the end of July and into the first week in August. I know one of the most uh, heavily rumored things for the United States is if the U.S. makes it, um, Adam Jones could be part of that roster. Adam Jones currently playing in Japan, uh, the the former Orioles star uh, World Baseball Classic star in 2017. Um, yeah, they can make changes to this roster between now and when the Olympic Games get started in late July. One thing that I do think is interesting is 
You know, I even read a story in another baseball publication the other day where they said the, the U.S. was the heavy favorite uh, coming into this qualifier to win the, the trip to Tokyo out of it. I don't know if I would agree with that. This Dominican Republic roster is stacked. Canada has put together a very veteran-laden squad. Venezuela, obviously, has played really well so far. Um, I think there's a little bit of bias in just assuming that, well, it's the U.S. and they're playing in a qualifier event like this. They have to be the heavy favorite. I don't think I agree with that. Um, now, they've obviously played very well so far, uh, and maybe they do come out of this, but this is a really talented – it's not to say that to take away from the U.S., it's to say that to credit these other rosters. This is a really talented group of teams. I mean, we even saw Nicaragua playing for a berth in the Super Round uh, yesterday. They ended up losing to the Dominican Republic, just kind of ran out of pitching, but these are all really talented groups. Um the one thing that stands out about Olympic baseball in 2021 uh, that is going to be very strange is for the very first time ever, there will not be a Cuba team in the Olympics. Cuba's won three gold medals. They've medaled at every single Olympic Games in baseball um, and just owned the world of international baseball from about the 1960s on. Uh, but Cuba, it is a obviously a much different baseball landscape in Cuba these days than where it was, you know, in the 90s, even the early 2000s. Uh, but Cuba did not qualify for the Super Round. They were Olympic eliminated yesterday um two days ago actually were eliminated by taking their second loss of the tournament they ended up getting their first and lone win of the qualifier yesterday beating um a columbia team that had jeter down some other um recognizable prospects but uh yeah no cuba and that is a, a fascinating and interesting thing when it comes to the international baseball landscape uh for 2021 and beyond and you know i think we'll uh see a lot of really interesting roster moves roster construction ahead of Tokyo the the Japan roster and Korea's roster are going to be fascinating to watch um, Mexico and Israel will be in the Olympic Games for the first time. You'll see a lot of names that you recognize uh, on both of those rosters. Ian Kinsler is a member of the Israel squad, guys who, um, you know, have gotten citizenship in, in some of these other countries via their heritage and uh, now get a chance to play baseball on the, the largest global sports stage. And uh, I'm excited, man. I know there's still a lot of uh, trepidation as to whether or not the Olympics are going to go forward as scheduled right now. But if it happens, I think this baseball tournament is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, and what we hope is we said this last week and we, we credit all these organizations that have sent their prospects to the qualifiers Yeah, and how much absolutely. that means playing in this competitive environment, getting to see Julio Rodriguez, like you said, surrounded by Jose Bautista yeah. and, um, these veteran players and performing to that level, like that's probably better than what they were getting at high A anyway. Absolutely. Um, or Tristan Cass is at double A or Jaron Duran, triple A, et cetera. Um, so to see these guys embrace that opportunity is great. And if they do qualify and they decide, you know, a Tristan Cass isn't going to be called up to the majors, let's allow him to go to Japan. That's going to be huge for his career. As well. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine what that's going to mean for him. That first day he comes to Fenway park and it's like, well, this could be daunting, oh, I've actually competed in Olympics. It's not that big. Right. Um, no, he has an international career. You've, you've covered a little bit of it before. Um, he's well-represented USA beforehand. But these are big opportunities for these guys, and hopefully they continue to come, even as uh, the Tokyo Olympics uh, come up in, in 50 days, like you said. It is very cool. And, and yeah, credit to the Boston Red Sox who sent, uh, you know, a bunch of their top prospects. You, you mentioned Cass, as you mentioned, uh, Duran and Jeter Downs also. Seattle Mariners have sent a bunch of prospects. Um, the organizations that buy into stuff like this, I feel like there's such an intangible benefit to the international game and that experience on a bigger stage. Um, and for these guys, you know, I mean, the, the nights that we have seen them play in front of 
pretty packed houses. That atmosphere is something that we have all so sorely missed. And it's been really, really cool getting a chance to see that again. And so uh, we've got a four game super round that will start Friday. By the time you are listening to this 1 PM start time for the early game between the Dominican Republic and Venezuela on ESPN plus uh, and the night game will be seven o'clock Eastern time between Canada and the United States. And then those matchups will flip flop uh, coming up on Saturday, one o'clock and seven o'clock for those as well. So tune in. If you get a chance, say hi via Twitter or wherever, and, uh, and we'll have some fun with international baseball finally back here in 2021. And uh, that brings us to strike two. And we go from a thing that I'm getting to cover to a thing that you got to cover, Samuel P. Dykstra, as the Hartford Yard Goats got a chance to play host to you as well as to the Bowie Bay Sox, but really mostly just to you. I know they were probably thrilled to have you in the house. Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles pitching to Adley Rutschman as members of AA Bowie. Uh, Hartford, not too far from where you are in Palmer, Massachusetts. you got a chance to go check out Dunkin' Donuts Park. And um, maybe more exciting than seeing a, an awesome ballpark is seeing a dude throw 100 miles an hour in a ballpark. Uh, tell us about getting a chance to check out Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, I got to say, was the one of the most impressive pitching prospects that I've seen in person in a long time. Um, I knew that going in. He's, I think he's number 21 right now in MLB Pipeline's rankings. Um, he's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball for a reason. But the way he showed up in his double-A debut and everybody I talked to around him, uh, like his even his manager, Buck Britton, was saying, like, he seemed a little too overhyped to, before the game. Like, I thought I was going to have to calm him down, but I decided, no, this is just who he is. Let's let him be. And he came out throwing 98, 99 immediately. He threw 100 miles an hour, like you said, Tyler at least once every inning, which is impressive. Like he, his velocity was not going down in a way that I would have expected. I, I thought, all right, he hit 98, 99. Like that's the adrenaline flowing. Things are going to happen. It's going to tail off after a certain point. He was still throwing DBs like inning five. Now, mind you, he only threw 71 pitches. Um, that's very much in line with the way the Orioles are, have treated him in, early in the season, starting at high A Aberdeen and now getting to double A buoy. Uh, 71 pitches is actually a season high. So he is starting to pick up a little bit more work as the season goes on. But again, the velocity was there. He was attacking the zone. He didn't have any walks until the fifth inning. Um, he was hitting his spots. Well, uh, he was throwing sliders. His slider looked like his, his best off speed pitch to me. Um, but I, I know other people believe he also has a plus changeup. The curveball was kind of there. It was, it was flashing, but it wasn't something he really needed. But he got a lot of swings and misses on that slider. Uh, he entered the night with the highest swing and miss rate in all of the minor leagues, and he actually improved upon that in his double-A debut. That's huge. Um, so now we're, we're going to get to see a little bit more of him, What, how you know this double-A Hartford lineup, Tyler, you know the, the Colorado Rockies system. It's not the most loaded in the world by any means. Elihiris Montero was maybe the biggest prospect I was interested in seeing there. Um, but he looked Mon he made Montero look silly on a couple pitches. He actually struck out Montero for his eighth and final strikeout in five innings. Um, if he can do this going into the sixth and maybe later into the summer going into the seventh, maintain that velocity, still throw that off-speed stuff, get swings and misses with that. I mean, we could be talking about him as the top pitching prospect by the end of the summer. I don't want to base too much off one start. But there were so many things built in for him to not fail, but to trip up on like first double A start, new park, new teammates, all this stuff. Uh, and he, he looked like he had been there all season long and he looked just as dominant as, as he had looked at Aberdeen. He's now the minor league leader in strikeouts. 
Um, we'll see how long he can kind of hold on to that title. I believe he has 48 on the season. Uh, but for all the things that I thought I, I had heard about Grayson Rodriguez during his time at Aberdeen and even going back to 2019 at Delmarva, he kept right on trucking here at double A. And if that's going to happen, that's huge. And this double A buoy team right now, we thought coming into the season was going to be one of the most loaded rosters in minor league baseball. Adley Rutschman is the headliner there for obvious reasons, but DL Hall has gotten off to a really impressive start as well. Um, everybody I talked to said Hall and Rodriguez have a very friendly rivalry. They chirp each other all the time. Um, they used to throw on the same day during spring training, and then they would compare notes of who had better stuff, who got more strikeouts. Now they're going to be doing that on the same roster. So that's only going to mean good things for that competition to continue. Um, but the fact that both of those guys are throwing to Rutschman, who, as Hall even has said himself, is a big target. He makes you feel very comfortable on the mound. He knows your stuff. He studies your stuff. When I talked to Adley Rutschman yesterday after Grayson Rodriguez's start, he's I asked him in the middle of the outing, they threw, I think, like eight or nine straight off-speed pitches. Why did they do that when they knew the heat was there? And he said, listen, we we studied the analytics. We knew what these guys could hit and couldn't hit, and we decided off-speed was the best way to go at that point. Um, if he's studying the, the hitters as much as the pitchers are and these pitchers are as good as they are, the the ceiling is the sky for this buoy team. It really feels like it is the future of Baltimore baseball. Um, right now, the fact that they are 19 and five, the second best record in the minor leagues should be very exciting to folks in Baltimore and, and what that future could mean. It's not triple a, it's, it's not like these guys are banging down the door of the majors quite yet, but you can start to see that rebuild taking a turn here, maybe the second half of this year, but at least 2022 should look a lot brighter than 2021 looks right now because of the stars that are at this double-A roster and those that are still funneling just behind them, guys like Jordan Westberg and, and Gunnar Henderson for sure. And strike three this week. Uh, the first month of the minor league season is in the books as hard as that is to believe. And thankfully, you know, we mentioned this last week, it's been a lot of smooth sailing early on in this minor league season, a lot of different stuff to get used to in this minor league season with new teams and new levels and uh, all of that. But uh, the same exciting talent and all the things that we have come to know and love about minor league baseball, Sam, what have been your takeaways from month number one? Yeah, I, I think this probably has changed just as the month has gone on, which is the way it should. But like one thing that stood out to me just in the last couple of days is that slow starts were slow starts. And that doesn't mean a reason or that wasn't a reason to jump off any bandwagons. Um, I know Bobby Witt Jr. Got off to a slow start at double a Northwest Arkansas. And I thought, okay, were they a little too aggressive sending him there? This was a very fleeting thought, mind you, but all of a sudden he had a three homer game and, and looks very much like he belongs now. Spencer Torkelson, I was actually legitimately worried that he got off to a slow start at high West Michigan. Uh, he went down for a little bit, didn't play for a while with a hamstring injury since coming back has torn the cover off the ball and looked very much like the batter he was at uh, Arizona state. So if anything, this first month has just taught us patience. We knew this coming in 2020 season being, you know, going away completely uh, meant that, Guys were going to be a little rusty, even if the if they were at the alternate site and in big league camp and all these things, they were built up for a season. A season's not a season until it happens. Like it, it, it's such a different com competitive environment. Um, so it might have taken guys a couple of weeks to get their wheels going, but now that we are a month in, I think we are starting to see the true potential of some of these players. Now, it's not true of everyone. I think there are still worrying signs about necessarily like somebody like Mackenzie Gore. 
Um, his command still hasn't really come back yet uh, in a worrisome way. Um, some of these other names, but the, the fact that the top prospects, the guys we thought could be stars, got off to slow starts and then picked things up again once they got comfortable um, was just a sign that everything we thought we knew coming into the season, not everything, but a lot of the things we thought we knew coming into the season were true. It just took some time for those true colors to come out. And I think that's something we can remember too about somebody like Jared Kelnick, who's having a slow start in the majors right now. Um, all the potential is in the world for him to turn that around and, and be very much the major league hitter we expect him to be, even if it's not there right now. Trust the talent level, I guess, is, is the big takeaway for, for me from this first month. But Tyler, what is it for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that has stood out the most is just how great it is to see kind of the normalcy of minor league baseball. I mean, we had a cat delay in Wichita <laughs> the other night. We've had, yes, we did. Uh, you know, some some crazy promotions. I know there are a lot of ballparks that are getting set to return to 100% capacity. Um, it, it's a cop-out answer, I think, but uh, it really does mean so much. And being in a place where, you know, I would imagine it felt this way in Hartford, too, just to be around people again, to watch people embrace, to watch people in crowds, to watch people celebrating moment at a sporting event. Um, that's my biggest takeaway is the fact that, uh, yeah, the minor league landscape looks different this year, but so many of the things that we love are the exact same as they were in 2019. Um, and that is so exciting to me. Uh, and, and just so life affirming, you know, I, this is a, a line that uh, Pierre Maguire used on a, a hockey telecast on NBC the other night, but it really does feel like these crowds at sporting events right now are a celebration of life to a certain degree. Now, maybe not the idiots who are throwing water bottles or popcorn, but uh, you know, for, for the rest of us who are just excited to be back living our lives again, um, it's pretty great. That and, and Wander Franco is uh, really good at baseball. Uh, yeah. That's another one, you know, pretty big takeaway. The top prospect in the game who is 20 years old and is at AAA with Durham and is, you know, batting at just as good as you would have expected him to if he was like at high A this year, but somehow he's doing it at AAA. Wander Franco's 24 games of the season. He's got an OPS uh, of over a thousand, I believe. I mean, he's, he's ridiculous. And Julio is great. It's just all the dudes that we have prospect crushes on who are killing us so far. And the third ranked prospect in baseball, Spencer Torkelson, has his first pro baseball card and he's bunting on the front of it. He's fake. <laughs> I, love it. I love it, man. It's Which makes no sense, but in it making no sense also makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. It's a perfect way to put it. Um, so we're back, man. Minor league baseball is back and it makes me so happy. And uh, we're just thrilled to be able to get a chance to do this again and uh, to get a chance to talk with you all again. And it's been so much fun. And uh, with that, we are uh, through segment number one here on this week's episode of the show before the show. I did not get a chance to be in on the interview subject today. Uh, so we're going to catch up with Ben. We're going to hear the interview. Sam, give us a little preview. Well, first up, we have the Ben's Biz segment. Uh, I talked to Ben here in a little bit about, actually, we're going to stay where you are, Tyler, in the state of Florida. The Dunedin Blue Jays actually got to return to Dunedin. And if that sounds weird, don't worry. Ben's going to explain it here in a moment. And then we have the interview after that with the Wisconsin broadcaster, Chris Maring, about the utter tuggers. Can't get enough of saying that on a podcast, utter tuggers, uh, ahead of their weekend-long celebration and promo. Uh, but first up, with me talking to Ben.
This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Well, our our next two segments are just going to be Ben and me. Uh, Tyler is currently, I believe, in a rain delay in Florida uh, covering the the Olympic qualifiers down there, but Ben, it's great to have you back. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. And uh, I hope you're doing all right as well. And I hope Tyler's doing all right uh, in uh, soggy, sodden, rain-soaked Florida. Yeah. St. Lucie, Florida. I thought you were going to go for the <laughs> continued alliteration on that one. I really um, should have. I blew my opportunity. Well, well, speaking of Florida, uh, your latest story stays in the Sunshine State. Um, you did a story recently about how Dunedin, the Dunedin Blue Jays, Dunedin has been in the news a lot in baseball circles, obviously, since the beginning of the year. The Toronto Blue Jays have made that their major league home uh, through April and May. Now they are moving back up to Buffalo, where they played in 2020. Uh, They're moving up to Salem Field. But that means the Dunedin Blue Jays can actually play in their home stadium again uh, for the first time. I believe that's happening today that we are recording this on Thursday, so the day before you guys are hearing this. Uh, But what can you tell us about that and what it means to the Dunedin Blue Jays to actually once again play in Dunedin? Yeah, it's kind of a wild story, um, or at least, you know, in a, in a minor league baseball context, a wild story. Um, Dunedin Blue Jays of the Florida State League, now the low A Southeast League. We're getting everything straight. But uh, on September 2nd, 2018, they played, they finished the 2018 regular season in their home ballpark of Dunedin Stadium, now called TD Ballpark. And cut to 33 months later to today when we're talking, Thursday, June 3rd, this will be the next time since September 2nd, 2018, that they actually play a game in that ballpark. What happened in the interim? It's kind of a long story. Read the article on MILB.com. But first and foremost, a huge renovation uh, project at the ballpark. Um, It's also the Toronto Blue Jays Spring Training Facility. Uh, so right after 2019 spring training, the ballpark underwent massive renovations. Capacity was added. The player development complex was renovated, um, you know, full 360 degree concourse, new food and drink options, blah, 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 blah. A huge renovation project. So in 2019, the Dunedin Blue Jays were forced out of their home and they played games at Clearwater's Jack Russell Stadium, the home of the Clearwater Phillies and Clearwater Phillies spring training from 1955 through 2003. So they went back to a kind of rustic Florida ballpark in 2019 while Dunedin's ballpark, TD ballpark, was being renovated. Then in 2020, the Dunedin Blue Jays were set to play at a newly renovated stadium. But spring training starts, new renovated ballpark, everything's going well. Then COVID, bam wipes out the entire 2020 season and uh there goes the 
Indian Blue Jays and everyone else's opportunity to play at the ballpark. Then 2021, minor league baseball season doesn't get started till May 4th, but still the Dunedin Blue Jays cannot play there because this time around, the Toronto Blue Jays are playing in Dunedin because of the closure of the United States-Canada border. So for the first month of the 2021 minor league season, Dunedin had to play games in Clearwater and Tampa and once again play away from their home ballpark because they could not play at their home ballpark. So between renovations, COVID, the Toronto Blue Jays playing regular season games at the facility, we went from September 2nd, 2018 to June 3rd, 2021 without a minor league team that did not relocate playing in its actual ballpark. I believe that's unprecedented, at least in the time I've been writing about minor league baseball. Check out the story. I kind of give, go into more detail, even though I feel like I went into quite a lot of detail just now. I just can't help myself. I can't stop myself. I'm sorry. I just got it all in my head, and sometimes it just needs to come out. All right, take a deep breath for a second. But the one thing I really liked about this story too is that the uh, the closing quote that you have, not to spoil it, but just how it is kind of a sense of normalcy that just having Dunedin back in Dunedin brings. Uh, but with something like that, we've talked about this before with Vancouver and uh, you know so many other clubs, Buffalo now moving to Trenton, all, all of those games, musical chairs. Did you get a sense in reporting this piece? Like, how does that work? How does that coordination effort work with Clearwater and Tampa? Like, how does revenue get split? Does it get split? Or does Dunedin just have to kick that can down the road and just be like, well, I guess we're not getting any revenue for, for May? Yeah, I don't know the specifics of that. You know, in the 2019 season, when Dunedin did not play um, at their ballpark, you know, they played at a ballpark that was not being used for minor league baseball. So that was t- entirely an arrangement with the city of Clearwater that now owns Jack Russell Stadium. In terms of the 2021 arrangements, that's an interesting case. Um, the first six games they played were at the Clearwater ballpark, not Jack Russell, but the new home of the Threshers, Philly Spring Training ballpark. But they played against the Bradenton Marauders while they were there. So they played in Clearwater while hosting the Bradenton Marauders. I don't know exactly what their arrangement was with the Clearwater Threshers slash Philadelphia Phillies organization to make that work. Then for the next set of home games, they were supposed to host the Tampa, um, Tampa Tarpons, and instead they played at Tampa. And again, I don't know what arrangement teams have with that in terms of sharing staff, revenue split. I mean, if we're being honest – it's a league in which it's kind of hard to draw uh, in the low A Southeast. Um, you know, often the crowds are five, six, seven, eight hundred people um, weekday games, at least to start the year. So um, right now it's just about getting it going and uh, getting it started and uh, just having, as you said, as I said, as they said, a sense of normalcy. Yeah. And uh, one thing we should point out too, is like Florida, the low A Southeast is, is where I believe Palm beach and, Jupiter are not having fans for a good chunk of the week in essence, in part for safety, but also just because it's difficult to hire all these workers. If, if fans are going to be coming to the ballpark and on certain days like that. So that is something that Florida state league or old Florida state league teams do face for sure. Um, ben, we're going to be coming out with this episode on June 4th. Uh, a lot of people might recognize that as being a month out from May 4th, which is when, minor league opening day was we are officially one month into the minor league season. Uh, Tyler and I touched on this a little bit from the on-field aspect, but in terms of the off-field aspect, in terms of teams getting back into the swing of things, getting promos again, opening up capacity, it feels like bigger and bigger each week. Um, What are some of the themes and what are some of the standout uh, things of the first month of the season for you? Yeah, a slow return to normalcy, and I think we're getting closer, but I think in a lot of ways the entirety of the 2021 season is not going to be quote-unquote normal. 
just with lingering considerations due to COVID and just uh, the extent to which teams are hamstrung in terms of how they can operate, having not made any revenue in 2020 and how that uh, limited what they were able to commit to in 2021, uh, not to mention all the uncertainty regarding just the larger restructuring of the entire minor league landscape. So uh, 2021, definitely a transitional year all around, but yes, we are seeing more and more teams saying we're going back to full capacity or next home stand is full capacity or starting last week, we were full capacity and more. And that doesn't mean they're selling out every game, but at least it means they can offer as much of their ballpark as possible. And as fans get more comfortable coming, they have the crowds will be bigger and bigger. And uh, as regards the sort of things I cover um, promotions, then they can commit more and more to promotions. As we saw the, the season start, uh, a lot of teams didn't even release a promo schedule at all by the time opening day, May 4th rolled around. Most of the ones that did uh, just said, here's the promos for May because they didn't really know how they'd be operating in June and July. And now we're starting to see, okay, remainder of the season promo schedule, or at least, you know, promo schedules for June and July. And I just think we'll see things build up, um, you know, more back to quote unquote normal as the summer goes on, as the weather's hotter, as school's out, as more people are vaccinated, as more and more people feel comfortable being out and about in America, enjoying America's pastime, uh, I think it'll get better, but it's been a weird month. I mean, it's been a weird month for, you know, me personally, we're still talking over Zoom, have still, I've been in the office one time since March, 2020, uh, you know, have a kid now, not, don't even know when I'll go back on the road, you know, so it's not about me, but at the same time, I do think writ large, that's how a lot of people are feeling. Like so much has changed. I'm still not back to normal. I don't really know how to operate in this new scenario. And I think for a lot of people, you know, just for fans figuring out getting back to the ballpark and the teams themselves operating in this new reality, I think people are still sorting out a lot of things personally and professionally before they really start to feel like, okay, gung ho, let's do this. Everything's normal, full speed ahead, but we will get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your point about it, like, places being at hundred percent capacity doesn't mean everybody's going to rush back necessarily in that way. And people are still feeling their, their way through it. Even if it feels like we are getting there closer and closer every day, um, there's still a process involved in that, not only as individuals, but as an industry wide uh, thing as well. Um, but speaking of promo calendars and, and things starting to open up and promos becoming more plentiful across the minor league landscape, Ben, uh, let's pivot to our interview here coming up with Wisconsin broadcaster, Chris Maring, uh, before salute to cows weekend and specifically the return of the other tuggers what can you tell folks about this interview coming up yeah well you know i've been writing about promos minor league promotions for a long time and way back in my early days i remember getting in touch with wisconsin timber rattlers broadcaster chris marrying because i saw on the uh, promo calendar salute to cows and i said you know that's the kind of thing i want to cover and uh over the years the timber rattlers kept doing salute to cows and it got bigger and bigger and in 2019 bam not only did they do a salute to cows promo, they changed their name to the Utter Tuggers. And now 2021, they're doing four games as the Utter Tuggers, June 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, with giveaways and all things uh, related to this dairy theme. So who better than Chris Merring, who has been around with the Timber Rattlers for a long time, an expert on cows, an expert on the team itself and the intersection thereof, to tell us about one of the most unique, creative and popular prom promotions in minor league baseball, the Timber Rattlers saluting cows by suiting up as the Utter Tuggers. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. 
expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. Here on the Show Before the Show podcast, Sam Dykstra and I are joined by Chris Maring of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, longtime Midwest League slash high A central broadcaster, media relations director, just uh, sort of an icon of uh, minor league baseball in Wisconsin, really well known around the industry, especially in the Midwest, and also, among many other things, an expert on cows, um, or cows at least in terms of how it relates to minor league baseball promotions. This is Utter Tuggers Weekend we're coming up on, and uh, Chris is here to fill us in about it. So, Chris, coming into this weekend, uh, how excited are you for Utter Tuggers Weekend? It's been uh, two years in the making, really, because we were supposed to have it in 2020. Um, obviously, nobody had anything in 2020, but uh, the 2019 Utter Tuggers game took everybody by surprise. Um, our team store manager was still filling, had to go through like five or six reorders with all of the stuff that sold out on the first day that it was available. Um, we had our highest attendance in 2019 with it, won a golden bobblehead, uh, two golden bobbleheads off of it. Um, and then last year we had a great June raising some money for charity and won the uh, alternate identity award uh, at the end of uh, when the end of the 2020 season would have been. So um, we've stretched it out to four days this year. Um, just heard the pre-sold for today uh, on Thursday when we record this is 3,500. Um, we could get over 4,000, which is really good for our bottom line. And I think everybody's going to be excited and we've got a lot of stuff planned from live cows to a new mascot unveiling to bobbleheads and uh, an utter tuggers fanny pack giveaway that I'm a little nervous about seeing. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a fun weekend here, Ben. Right. So Utter Tuggers, a cow-themed identity, all weekend long, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers suiting up as the Utter Tuggers with a really one of the most uh, striking logos you'll see, a cow charging forward with the, we call them the, the udders protruding uh, from the belly. Um, so Chris talked a little bit about going what's going on this weekend, and uh, we'll get back to that in a second. But this promotion has roots for well over a decade now, uh, the Timber Rattlers Salute to Cows promo. And um, that, in effect, is because the dairy industry is a real big deal in Appleton and the surrounding area. So if you could just kind of speak a bit about the roots of this promotion, uh, how these uh, dairy salutes came about and uh, the evolution of salute to cows at the ballpark. Well, if anybody's ever seen that 70s show uh, with the license plate at the end, it says America's Dairyland on the Wisconsin license plate. And uh, Wisconsin is America's Dairyland. I don't care what California says or anybody else says. Uh, Wisconsin's America's Dairyland. And uh, we came up with Salute to Cows, I think 10, 12 years ago, as a way to kind of promote the dairy industry in the, uh, in the state and the surrounding area. And we coincided it with the start of Dairy Month, which is June. Uh, and it just kind of went really well. Um, we wore some cow pattern jerseys, but they said timber rattlers on it. I found some from 2014, um, uh, just going through some pictures a, a few days ago. And uh, there were, we didn't really start wearing the, the cow pattern jerseys until um, around that time, if I'm remembering right. But we were looking for something to kind of boost interest and come up with something new to get people to come out and get excited. And that's when we were, we worked with Brandios on coming up with the alternate identity. If, if 
I'm recalling the history correctly, Utter Tugger was, was actually one of the finalists for the North Woods League team that we have down in Fond du Lac that wound up being the Dock Spiders. And we thought that was just a little too out there for an everyday team name for a, a minor league team. But we kind of put it in the back pocket and said, pulled it out when we were trying to come up with ideas to to boost the the Salute to Cows promotion. And Utter Tuggers, uh, beyond expectations, what we were expecting. Uh, the We sold out of merchandise in the team store in five hours. Um, the impressions on social media were through the roof. Um, and like I said, when we did this first Utter Tuggers game in 2019, uh, it was our biggest attendance of that year. And just to be able to pull this out and get the excitement back going again, uh, it's it's been it's been quite a ride. And, and you almost got to exactly what I wanted to ask about next, and which is just plainly why other tuggers? You mentioned like there was some Northwoods League's flirtations with that and that had been out there before working with Brandy Ose. But I'm sure there were like a number of names you guys could have landed on other tuggers is just fun to say the, the logo is fun to look at obviously you guys hit a lot of nails on their heads but what other options were out there and what was the process in terms of landing on this of like this is going to be our alternate uh, I think, identity I, I i think sam that uh other tuggers was the only real option we had for the alternate identity for the salute to cows promotion um other tuggers is a nickname for milk dairy farmers um, in the area here. So, I mean, it's maybe a little older and a little archaic, but we were able to pull it out and uh, use the Utter Tuggers name uh, as kind of a, a way, you know, Milkmen is already kind of out there as a, as a, as an American association uh, uh, nickname and, you know, Milk Pail, that doesn't real sound great. Dairy Farmers is okay but it doesn't really catch the the attendant the, the attention of anybody but utter tuggers is such uh an attention grabbing name that it fits in with the promotion so well i i don't think we actually had a second option on what to come up with other than just utter tuggers oh, that's that's pretty cool and then the other part of this too is you guys are doing a whole bunch of promotions you mentioned the fanny pack there's fireworks there's wobbleheads involved um you guys are selling out but part of the people who have to wear these jerseys are the players and they are brewers prospects. Like when you first went to the brewers and said, Hey, this is something we're considering. They're from Milwaukee. They're from Wisconsin. I'm sure they get it. How much did it help being that they are a Wisconsin team themselves? And what was that process like trying to get players to wear other Tuggers jerseys the first time back in 2019? We did an unveiling video with some players from 2019 and we let them kind of get a first look at it. And the video is, is out there. I think it's on our YouTube channel. It's on some of our social media and they, we were shooting them from behind the Jersey and we were getting their facial expression as they walked up to it. And Scotty Sonich and I think Chad McClanahan was another one. They were, they went up and they looked up and they just started busting out laughing because it was, it was just so beyond what they were expecting. Um, and, uh, this year, um, actually I was talking to Matt Erickson about this on, on a podcast, uh, a, just a weekly podcast that we're doing. And I said, Hey, you know, Otter Tuggers weekend is coming up on the next homestand the guy's been talking about it. And we have about, I don't know, about 12, 13 guys back from 2019. And they were telling all the guys that are new to the team 
what to expect. And you guys are going to love these jerseys. This is a fun weekend. So uh, it's it's fun when the players buy into kind of the the goofy, weird stuff that we do. Um, so there really hasn't been any pushback from anybody um, as far as wearing those jerseys and looking a little bit ridiculous because, you know, the, the game's still the same and uh, the, they're not wearing Lederhosen and Bratz jerseys like they're going to be doing later in the season too. Well, speaking about the ridiculous, uh, Undertugger is obviously a ridiculous name, but, you know, part of what makes a great theme night is really just uh, going all out with the concept. And uh, for this weekend, as well as over the years, what are some of your favorite elements of uh, Salute to Cows slash Tuggers weekend with between and in contests, concessions, uh, just the peripheral dairy madness that goes on that really uh, hammers home the theme? We'll be having uh, some live cows for a petting zoo out in front of the stadium so people can uh, take a look at that on their way in. Um, we have the uh, we have those big in, or those inflatable cows that will be it'll be like Christmas decorations in the uh, in the main entryway coming in. Um, we'll try to tie in, uh, you know, some milk chugging contests uh, and then we'll do like the herding the inflatable cows into a a corral kind of a relay race kind of thing. That's the things that we've done in the past. Um, the, the player headshots will do milk mustaches on their player headshots uh, to, to do that based off the old got milk promotion. And uh, one of the things uh, that we're doing is we have a new mascot uh, that is uh, a, basically an inflatable cow. And we're going to unveil that uh, on Thursday. And uh, it, I think uh, our promotion team is really excited about how this this uh, this cow is going to look and how fans are going to react to it. All right, Chris. Well, one last one for me while we have you, because it is such a year of change across minor league baseball. One of the changes that Ben kind of touched on before you guys are going up to high A um, again, being a an Appleton, Wisconsin team, not that far from Wisconsin in the same state or not that far from Milwaukee being in the same state. Um, what effect have you guys seen out of having, you know, just that one step closer? It's it's still a ball technically, but being a little bit, bit closer. I know you guys get Garrett Mitchell, top prospect in the Brewer system. Like what kind of effect is that having on the community, knowing that you guys are a little bit closer to the majors? I, I think the, the fans are seeing a, a little bit better brand of baseball. And I'm going to throw that 12, 11, four hour monstrosity that we played last night off to the side because <laughs> uh, that's an anomaly. But I, I think there's a little better brand of baseball up here. The guys are more into their, you know, into their development. They've had an extra year of full season baseball. And uh, the fans have really reacted. Uh, last night uh, before the game, Corey Howell was introduced as the high A central player of the month for May. And the reaction from the fans that were here was very positive because they all remember Corey when he was here in, in 2019. And, you know, we've got Garrett Mitchell back and Reese Olsen, um, I've said this to everybody who's asked about the difference between low A and high A and the Reese Olson is a pitcher with us. He was a high school pick by the Brewers. He was 160 pounds with us in 2019. And when I did the roster up, I went off of the Brewers media guide and still had him at 160. And Reese walked up to me the first time he saw the roster and walks me and goes, Chris, I put on 20 pounds and it's good pounds. I'm 180 pounds now. So, um, as some people have said, you know, at, when you're that young, you can afford to put on 20 pounds. Uh, when you get up to where I am right now, you really can't just say, hey, I'll put 20 pounds on my weight. But uh, 
Um, the, the development and the level of play has just been outstanding so far at the high A level. And uh, fans have really taken to it. And uh, this weekend with the Uttertuggers, we're going to have a lot of people coming in to see this brand of baseball, maybe for the first time. And that is hopefully going to keep bringing them back. Well, Chris, it's been quite a journey for uh, the Timber Rattlers saluting cows and the Utter Tuggers. Uh, you've witnessed a lot of these games, written a lot of press releases, not to put you on the spot, but I was wondering if you have any favorite cow-related puns or uh, slogans or just uh, how you'd like to wrap things up uh, in a dairy-oriented way. The, the one that always gets me is, um, you know, the, the Rattlers are on the move to the Utter Tuggers. Um, one that's a little risque is, uh, smell our dairy air in Wisconsin. So <laughs> those are two of my favorites, but, uh, the it's, you know, I, I don't want to get put out the pasture on this. So I will stop right there. Well, keep milking it for all it's worth. And, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the show before the show podcast and telling us all about utter tuggers, cows, and, uh, what's going on in Appleton, Wisconsin. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Sam. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst a fraudulent pair one is alive in memory the others were only ever illusions in last week's segment i asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist a the mount airy granateers b the allegheny plateaus c the silver city spelunkers Go tell it on the mountain, the Graniteers were a solid presence in Mount Airy, North Carolina for parts of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. That's not to say they didn't have a few ups and downs. Mount Airy hit rock bottom in the 1939 Bi-State League and peaked nine years later, delivering fans Graniteers of joy by climbing atop the Blue Ridge League in 48. Despite existing in such rarefied air, in 49, the Graniteers just couldn't get settled, as it took four men to hold down the managing job over the course of the season. The two that brought Mount Airy to the greatest heights that year, Pete Treese and Oki Flowers, were pitchers and co-managers. But that managing job was never etched in stone. The skipper of the 50 club, Zip Payne, agonized over being replaced mid-season by the same manager who'd replaced him as the manager of the Tobacco State League's Fayetteville Club in 49. Joe Roseberry, but Roseberry didn't plant himself firmly enough with the Graniteers either, as the whole franchise came tumbling down at season's end. Ever since fans took the team for granted, Mount Airy has been holding its breath for a new Miners team. That presumably included local boy Andy Griffith, who, without a ball club to support, turned his energy to Hollywood, where he used Mount Airy as the basis for Mayberry, which you may very well be familiar with from his eponymous television program. And those are the peaks and valleys of the Graniteers, who did exist once upon a miss of time. So now let's rock out with this week's question. 
which of these international-ish industrialists manufactured good times in the miners? A. The Melbourne Citrus Squeezers B. The Amsterdam Rug Makers C. The Moscow Millers Get to work on your guesses and tune into next week's edition of Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is looking for the Bermuda Triangle, and I'm beginning to worry that he's found it. segment of this week's episode of the show before the show milb.tv is your place for all of the best and brightest in minor league baseball sam what are you watching on mild tv this week yeah so one of the standout performances of this week actually was shay langoliers uh, one of the top prospects in the atlanta brave system normally known as a defensive catcher and i don't mean that to knock his offensive performance but he is a very very good defensive catcher um, but he actually had a three homer game this week uh which caught me by surprise. I, I wasn't expecting him to show off that type of pop, but you know, his first trip to the upper minors, he's with double a Mississippi right now. Uh, so I would say to watch him regardless, but actually on Saturday, uh, Mississippi is going to be in Pensacola as they are all week, but Max Meyer, the first round pick of the Marlins from 2020 and a guest on this podcast uh, will be pitching for the Pensacola blue Wahoo. So you get to see two first round picks here. You get to see Max Meyer going up against Shea Langoliers. You're probably going to want to watch, Max Meyer, regardless, his stuff is great. His fastball and slider might be two of the best pitches in all of the minor leagues. And he's shown that very early, despite this being his first season. The Marlins got aggressive with him, sent him to double A straight away. Love to see it. That's great stuff. Um, but for him to go up against a very, very hot hitter like Langoliers is going to be huge. So that's the one I've got my eye on. That's going to be on Saturday, June 5th. Uh, but if you want to watch that series at any point, J.J. Bleday's in that as well. Um, Shay Langliers, like I said, there, there's plenty of prospects to go around in that Mississippi Pensacola series. Uh, Tyler, what do you got your eye on? Yeah, the uh, New York Mets recently promoted, not just because I've been doing games at, uh, at St. Lucie, their spring training home, but they recently promoted a uh, top prospect from St. Lucie to Brooklyn, which is still a thing that we're getting used to saying, Brooklyn being a full season affiliate now at high A. But um, catcher Francisco Alvarez, who started this season at low A St. Lucie, was just outstanding there, batting 312, 407, 510. He's in high A now at 19 years old, um, and he has just, it seems like, every single tool on the book. He and the Brooklyn Cyclones will be on the road at Jersey Shore, taking on the Blue Claws, uh, and you can catch all of those games at Mild TV as well. So that will wrap up our little remote edition of the show before the show podcast. And uh, good to see you, man. Even though my my hotel internet is garbage, uh, but still good to good to get to do this. You, you say remote episode as if. Every episode we've done hasn't been remote in some way. That is true. That is true. It's very true. And for every episode of this entire show, for the history of this entire show, that is true. Yeah, not even just in some, except for very rare and joyful occasions. In right. Exactly. Time. Yeah, but we have we've mostly gotten very. Uh, we're professionals at doing this, you know, somewhere yeah. or as close to professionals as as we can get. Um, but uh, you can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com and uh, find us on Twitter, Benjamin Hill at BenchBiz. Sam is Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. And until next week, he's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you then.